Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in interviews in the RPG realm. I am wrestling school dropout Ryan Howard, and we've got a great one for you guys today, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I am talking to the co-hosts of the Vintage RPG podcast, John Hambone McGuire and Stu Horvath. We had a great conversation, talked a lot about wrestling, as you heard at the at the top here. We talked a little bit about uh, how they met... Uh, some about music, since they met in a record shop, and then uh, a lot about RPGs, and, and some really weird stuff comes up. Uh, apparently there was a Dallas RPG, which they get into, and, and you can hear about that on their uh, their podcast. Uh, they also dropped at the very end an announcement exclusive to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. I'll not spoil that here. I will let you guys listen to the entire episode to, to find out what it is that they're dropping on my show. Uh, but we had a great time. Before that, though, there is something that I have to address real quick. As you guys may know, this week... Uh, Eldritch Foundry launched. They finally released the tool, sort of. And and that's really what I have to talk about here for a little bit. Uh, So right around Tuesday, October the 22nd, when the launch was supposed to happen, they put out a thing on Twitter and on Kickstarter and everything explaining, hey, we've got a bug in our payment system. We're going to push the launch back to tomorrow. And so they did that, and they launched kind of on on Wednesday the 23rd. They the tool is open and available for you guys to use. However, you can't order a mini and to be perfectly blunt, the tool is in kind of a shabby state. Now they acknowledge this. I am in no way trying to throw them under the bus. I'm just informing you guys of of what's going on and my experience with the tool and and what I hope they are working on to to make this thing better. For those of you who may have come on later, I actually interviewed these guys uh, very early on in the podcast run. It was like episode five or six that I I brought them on the show. You know, I I backed the project on Kickstarter, and I've been kind of looking forward to this for a while. It really pains me that two guys as as nice as Matt and Joseph are are having issues like this. I, you know, I, I wish them all the best. I hope that they can get this turned around, but I have to be honest with you guys about the state of the, the tool right now. And, you know, quite honestly, my hope is that it's it's the bug that's keeping them from from having this thing, you know, at, at its full capacity, because taking, you know, leaving aside all the bugs that they're still trying to work through, uh, there's really not a whole lot of options on the minis. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, there, there's plenty of... They have a good variety of races right now. You've got humans, elves, dwarves, half-elves. I believe that tieflings are are available as well. Um, Halflings, I think gnomes as well. 
there's a good variety of of races to choose from. Uh, the problem though is that as of right now, there's not a whole lot of options uh, for, for customization. And you know, there, there's very limited hairstyles, there's, there's very limited beard styles. Um, there's issues with the beard not expanding with the expression on the face, which again, that's that's more of a bug issue than anything else. That's something that they'll more than likely address. But as far as like clothing and armor and, and weapons go, uh, their variety, at least at launch, is not great. It's it's actually pretty bad. And again, I think this might just come down to they are focusing more on fixing this bug than on making sure that everything they have planned is, is available right now, which is totally understandable. Once they have that bug fixed, hopefully they'll be addressing this. But as of right now, you really only have like three or four options as far as uh, chest and leg pieces. Uh, there, there's some really, really big gaps in, in their offerings right now. Like you, you can't do hand wraps for gloves. Um, there, there doesn't appear to be any kind of hide armor or anything like that. There's, there's no cloaks. There's no capes. Nothing like that. There's no headgear options, which, which I found... Uh, very odd, but again, they're they're working on their stuff. And then, as far as weapons go, they've got your your garden variety swords and and axes and stuff like that. Uh, there's only one type of bow though, and as far as I can see, there are no crossbows, either hand or regular. And then there's also no like equipment that you can have attached to your character. They don't have uh, like sheaths or or sheathed swords that you can put on your character's back or on their side or anything like that and yeah no cloaks no capes no backpacks and then uh, their pose options are also very limited and you're not able to kind of move them around in the same way that you can on uh, hero forge or anvil uh, now their their miniature quality is far superior to Anvil, at least from what I've seen. Anvil is a piece of shit, leaving that aside. I honestly, I, I, I can only hope that, that this is all just a result of all of their resources right now are dedicated to fixing the bug in their payment system and making sure that that works and then adding content. So I, I'm willing to, I'm going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt because I feel like they deserve it. They're, they're nice guys. They came on the show. They've got a great idea. They have a great product and I want to see them succeed. And I, you know, I back this thing. I, I put money into this thing. So I, I want to see this thing succeed. So I, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for this. And, you know, I, I have every confidence that they will reverse this and that they will compensate those of us who, who've been waiting for a while in some way and that they they do have these options available they just don't have them on the platform right now because they're busy fixing it but if they get that bug resolved and and they're not able to fix some of these issues relatively quickly they're not able to, to get more of that variety out there at that point we might have a bit more of a problem uh, but for for right now, I will say just in conclusion, the tool and everything looks good. The minis look good. I've obviously not gotten my hands on a mini yet, but it is not ready. It is not complete. It is not in a final state. And so for right now, I cannot issue a full verdict on the tool. And I will reserve my full thoughts on their tool and their process until I am able to make a mini, order it, 
and have it shipped to me. Once that once that is possible, once they have that worked out, I will give you guys my review of Eldritch Foundry, the tool. But for right now, it is not in a state where I can review it, which is unfortunate. So yeah, I'm just letting you guys know kind of my impressions of it initially. I feel like Matt and Joseph are handling things very well. Uh, they're not making excuses for themselves. They're they're being very forthcoming with everyone. And so that's good. And and that's what kind of continues to give me confidence that they will eventually right the ship is that they are handling this very well. They 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 have tremendous grace under pressure and I'm still rooting for you guys. I still love you guys. And once this thing's cleared up, I'd love to have you back on the show to kind of talk about the woes of <laughs> of a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, but for now, I still have to kind of reserve judgment until the tool is actually ready and completed and in full operating condition. So with that little bit of unfortunate news out of the way, uh, let's get into today's episode, which is a great one. There's nothing unfortunate about today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. I am talking to John Hambone McGuire and Stu Horvath of the Vintage RPG Podcast. I hope you all enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we have on today's show the co-hosts of the Vintage RPG Podcast. Uh, we have John Hambone McGuire, who is also the co-host of the Mai Tai Happy Hour. Hey, how's it going? Absolutely. And we have Stu Horvath, the editor-in-chief of Unwinnable.com. Howdy. Well, guys, welcome to Rolling Bones. I am glad that we could make this work tonight. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, man, Absolutely. thank you so much for having us on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for a few months now, and uh, I have a, a confession to make. I, I've been uh, sniping guests from you guys. <laughs> oh, have you now? Yes. Well then, sir. <laughs> so this means war. The first episode that I listened to of the Vintage RPG podcast was your interview with uh, Levi Combs of Planet X Games, and I immediately messaged him to get him on this show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's usually what happens. People go, oh, wait, all you have to do is ask people to come on our <laughs> podcast, and then, well, yeah. oops, the secret is out. <laughs> I blew it by saying that everybody's always so nice, and now everybody knows that everybody's so nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we should have kayfabed it a little more, Stu. Everyone is horrible. Yep. Do not approach them to be on your show. should just lied and said that we had to get through their agents and stuff. Oh, God, mm. yeah. Totally went through publicists. Yeah. <laughs> And then I also booked an interview for November with Daniel Fox. Oh, nice. And then at some point this week, I'm going to reach out to Luca Rejic. Oh, there you go. You're like the one friend that like will date anyone's ex. <laughs> you're, just, you're just going through him, man. Yep. <laughs> book, book a lot of time for Daniel. He's, he's, he's loquacious. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we are going to start this interview the same way that we start every single interview. I've got these questions that I ask everybody. Uh, so, Hambone and Stu, how did you guys get into RPGs and D anD? Uh, I I've been in the I've been in the the mix since uh, fourth grade. I uh, I was just sort of in the zeitgeist of the the role playing Dungeons and Dragons kind of coming up and being popular, and I was fascinated by it and. Uh, my mom was very disapproving initially uh, because of the the panic, mm -hmm. and uh, I eventually convinced a grandparent to uh, buy me my basic set, and I got hooked, and I've been in it ever since. So, like thirty years, my God. <laughs> gotcha. 
Well, for me, it was a little bit different. I remember it was 1997, and I had a friend at work who wanted me to come and play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I was dating a girl at the time who was definitely not about me going to play Dungeons & Dragons. So it just kind of didn't pan out that year. She was like, there's no way I will break up with you if any of my friends find out you play those nerd games. <laughs> And I, I mean, don't think it I was, knew that story. Oh, yeah. I, it, it was real. And I mean, it was like the late 90s. I was very lucky to have a girlfriend back then. And she was older and super pretty. And I, I, was, I was in way over my head. So <laughs> I did not get to play it in 1997. And that would have been the, the inception of when I first really D&D was on my radar. Mm-hmm. Years later, I was 25. And Stu and a lot of other friends of ours started playing D&D again, started playing 3-5. And I, they were talking about it, and they were just so passionate in the way they talked about Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, I want to play two guys, and they totally let me come play with them. And it was love at first sight, and I, I haven't turned back since. I mean, it's one of my absolute most favorite things in the entire world. Did did we strong arm you a little bit? <laughs> you well, yes. You also you let's we'll be real about it. You did strong arm me a little bit because I was like, I want to play guys, but I also want to be out in the bars to like three a.m. living that wild rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> you know, the hard candy shell is all tattooed bad boy, but the inside is like, <laughs> you know, in the words of Ron Funch, is a Care Bear cousin. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got to the table eventually. Now, stories like that, Hambone, they really kind of tug at my heartstrings because I was lucky enough to have the complete opposite in my girlfriend and now wife. Uh, when she and I met, it was at Dragon Con, and I was dressed up as Batman and she was dressed up as Black Cat, so. <laughs> well, damn, dude, you lucked out. <laughs> yeah, we we did not have to keep those worlds secret from each other. God, I was hanging at the wrong parties, clearly. My wife is amused i think she's played with us a little bit but i think that it's all just very like she's just kind of amused i think is the right word mm-hmm. well yep. Stu's, Stu's wife's a ringer let's let's call it what it is she's like secretly exceptional at all games and you're just like she's very unassuming and then all of a sudden she's just demolishing you well that's true too yeah my my wife is very much humoring me right now through her first ever campaign of of D. so oh, congrats that's awesome yeah absolutely so, in your guys' time of playing D&D, um, and other RPGs as well, because there's a lot of them out there, what has been your favorite RPG system? Ooh, I need to think on that. Hambone, you want to field that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this. I mean, for me, it's always been D&D. I, for the longest time, would only be playing D&D because that was the language that everyone spoke. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you think about when people hear about it, even before Stranger Things happened, even before, like, you know, this new renaissance of Dungeons & Dragons that we're currently in from 5th edition on, I mean, the nerd game was D&D. So I had heard about RuneQuest, I'd heard about Pendragon, I'd heard about a bunch of other games, but no one was actually playing that. You know, everyone had a brother or a cousin who played D&D. So for me, it's always been D&D, and that said, you know, over the last several years, I've gotten very much into Cthulhu, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's a game that I don't know that I would have had the the kind of robust love affair that I had with D and D if I had landed on that in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, started playing it in my late thirties, and I was like, man, this is this is kind of exceptional 
you know, real-time storytelling that I, I really crave out of role-playing games. And so Stu was gracious enough to run the entire campaign for Massive <laughs> Nihilathotep. So, uh, you know, D&D is always still going to be, you know, my number one, but uh, I really like Cthulhu a lot. Stu, I stalled as long as I could. It's your turn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I always kind of think of D&D as blue jeans, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it like I can't. I can't say that it's my favorite because I, I've lived with it through all five or six or seven iterations of it, and and like I I appreciate it for what it is, and I have my problems with some of it. So like I can't ever say that D and D is my favorite, but it it's like a constant in my life that I can't you know disregard. I mean, I I always said that I wasn't going to run five e, and and I just ran five e last night for the first time. So like you know nothing is true mm-hmm. but uh I, I, it's hard to pin down a favorite system because they all have their charms you know uh i i i, I really like pendragon in terms of how it like complements its material the the arthurian romances and stuff and i think that's is a really perfect system in a lot of ways i don't think it's a system for everybody though so like is that really my favorite call of cthulhu is really great a lot of these storytelling systems there's just too many i can't i mm-hmm. I, I i hate this question <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So for the two of you, um, and there there are a lot of characters that just kind of disappear from your mind because you, you don't play them very long. But what was the first memorable character that each of you played? John the Baptist. He was a ranger with a war hammer. It was my very first character. I had a very, very convoluted backstory for him. And uh, we mostly he... out of comic book stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Like so, like yeah. a little bit of Batman, a little bit of little Hawkeye, a little Hellboy. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he, he was a ranger with a war hammer, and that quickly got retconned. <laughs> I, I actually played uh, twelve years with that character, various different incarnations of the same character, uh, because you know time, as you know, is a little bit timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was my most memorable character. I mean, I I, I think uh, in, in essence, I I played that character for more than a quarter of my life <laughs> that's crazy but you're right that's yeah that's, holy crap that was a long campaign yeah it was uh for me you know I, I i spend most of my time behind the screen so i don't i don't have a ton of characters to pick from but mm-hmm. uh i had a D character and he, it was great it, it this campaign lasted exactly three scenarios and it was such a bum out that that i never got to have more time with him but he was a uh, he was a bard. He was, uh, but he was built around the idea of a snake oil salesman. So he had a cart, and he had like I, I listed out all of the stuff that was in the cart, uh, and he was like a con artist. And my the the other guy playing the uh, was playing my uh, my like assistant and the coachman. So like it was uh, his his name was Montgomery J. Skeegs the third, and he was great. He was the first time that, like, I actually got into character at the table and, like, was just like, I am going to run my mouth, like, uh, what, what's the rooster in Looney Tunes? Foghorn, Foghorn, Foghorn Leghorn. Leghorn. Yeah, so, like, I was just constantly talking like that and and just being a con artist, trying to sell everybody everything under the sun, and, mm-hmm. you know, we got nothing done in those two adventures. I probably killed the campaign, but it was, it was such a blast. There was a character in uh, one of my campaigns that ended up like taking over multiple campaigns. He was <laughs> he was a similar situation to that, but he was a uh, he was an artificer, and his name was Bron Bronzebeard of the Bronzebeard Lantern Company. He was played by my friend Austin, 
and he ended up being just the biggest pain in the ass, thorn in my side for not just that campaign, but the the campaign that my friend was running at the same time because of timeline things, like like Hambone said, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> you gotta love a like a, a a player who puts that much pain in the assness into a character. Yep. That. <laughs> You know, at the time, you think, oh, God, I wish he would just stop. But then, like, five years later, you're just like, man, those were some good times. <laughs> well, yeah, because they either break the campaign or they give you just enough rope that when the moment that their character's arc was finally building up towards pays off, man, it pays off dividends. Yeah. And it's something you're going to be talking about for years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So for both of you guys, and I mean, Stu, you kind of mentioned you don't get to play all that often, but describe your play styles both as players and as GMs. Like, what do you mean? Like, uh, more story-focused, more, like, combat tactical? or Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, I used to be more, like, my story-focused, hmm. uh, and I wanted to tell, like, you know, my, my, my long campaign was, like, a long thing that i wanted to tell and i plotted it all out and i had all these crazy characters and i think about like 25 percent of the stuff that i wanted to do was interesting to the group and got done and then you know the other stuff was made up on the fly and uh you know and that was that was the way i used to do it and then i really favored that but now i'm i'm really into just this kind of collaborative thing and and stuff that's really come out of like the the indie side of the osr and and like ways to push characters in different directions and and improvise stuff on the fly using like random tables and just a good framework for story mm-hmm. and and seeing where it could take you. Uh, the, the I mentioned running fifth edition for the first time last night. It I, you know it was barely fifth edition because of running uh, Witchburner, which is a system agnostic game, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very improvisational and it's it's very cool and and it just it's kind of tickling things that i i didn't realize i could tickle with with rpgs and that's where i'm focused these days i think yeah uh for me you know as a player i'm a a utility player i you know in in the very beginning when i got into dnd i definitely think i you know i wanted to be the big hero i was always kind of trying to tee myself up for that big hero moment you know because I was very new to the game. I, I didn't really understand how it worked. And, you know, it's also a lot of ways D&D is a power fantasy. So you're, you're taking out a lot of things and, and trying out a lot of things you just can't get over in your day-to-day life, you know, mm-hmm. especially all the cardio. However, uh, you know, my thing was I, I realized over time that I was having more fun being in support of other characters. And then if you if you play that way and you really give everyone time to do their thing, then you actually will ultimately get that hero moment that you're looking for. You'll actually get that that really big spot that you're you're looking to get that you're going to be talking about with your friends after the game because you, you're setting yourself up for it by helping set other people up for theirs. And so I kind of brought that style over to DMing because that's essentially what I do mostly as well. I I do I do run games more than I, I get to play them, which is cool because you know I try to create a situation where everybody wins. I try to make sure that. You know, if a player likes a certain thing, I can kind of help weave a story where they get to kind of experience the game that they want to experience. I'm a little more loose with the rules. I am a little more to the vibe and the feel of the spell or the rule than the letter of the law because I feel like 
that keeps the game more interesting. It keeps it more fun. It keeps it moving along a little faster. And that said, I won't let it break the game. So right. my goal for every game is that, you know, everyone at the table has a thing. And I want to make sure at least once every game, each player gets to do that thing. So it's not just like, well, you know, I'm a cleric, but this person also casts spells, but I didn't get to do anything because they cast all these spells. And I'm just kind of like, all right, I guess I'm going to hit it with my mace because that's all <laughs> there's like left to do. So I try to try to curate the game in a way where everyone wins. Everyone gets a, a chance to win. And I just try to beat you up. I don't ever want to. I don't I've actually never had a TPK. I've actually I've gotten pretty good at getting everyone within an inch of their life and have them just barely skate by that boss so they know it was challenging but at the same time they walk away from the the combat so it's the kind of balance i try to bring to the table yeah i kind of i kind of think that like like i i heard through the grapevine that uh you guys were talking uh this morning about the game last night and kind of talking about theories and, and what you needed to do in the next scenario and i think that that as the person running the game, that's 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 what I want to happen. Like I want my players to take the game into the next day or the next couple of days and just think about it and want to get back to the table. And you know, and I think that what gets that, what triggers that, is going to be different for every group. But I've been playing with this group for a long time, so I, I kind of have a, a decent vibe for it. And uh, so it was really grat like that's my goal, and it was really gratifying to hear that you know you guys were theorizing. Oh, we got the group thread going. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, Witchburner is also a short game. So we yeah. know that we really enjoyed it. And, mm -hmm. I, and this is like, I guess, like talking some inside baseball in the podcast. We, we enjoyed it. However, we enjoyed it so much that we know we want to get every last drop out of the lemon because there's only going to be like, I think, three sessions yeah. or four sessions. So, I mean, that to me, as a dungeon master, game master, a keeper of secrets or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Chill I mean, master. Chill master. Oh, jeez. That's, <laughs> that, that's a high compliment, is to have your players kind of still talking about it the next day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys have been playing RPGs for a long time, and I'm sure you've made a lot of great memories, but if you had to pick one, what would be your fondest RPG memory? Uh, I mean, we had, like, an epic weekend retreat for my bachelor party that I ran the finale for my... 15 or 12 year however long however it was multiple years long campaign multiple years multiple editions of D D, and uh we we finished it up in a in a bleary <laughs> poconos uh cabin and uh and then i got married the next week and that that i i you know i like i they fought the tarasque they killed the tarasque <laughs> they they killed my big bad guys uh, one of one of them heroically sacrificed themselves for the 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 sake of the the world. It was mm -hmm. it was fan. You can't top that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm gonna have to get to that as well. I mean, we we finished the combat at the tail end of the actual witching hour, and we're still wrapping up the game just before the sun came up. And you know, for a twelve year campaign, I I can't think of a better way to have done it. So yeah, I mean, that's my answer too. Yeah, there were feels. I, I felt so strange after that. Like I hadn't realized how much I had worked on that campaign and how how much it changed and 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 how many people came and went and like I was I was full of feelings that night or that morning. It was really that morning. <laughs> and, and you know what? To to that, I will also say that there were people who were there at the very beginning who 
had not played with us for uh, maybe even 10 years. Yeah. And who, who came back at the end. Stu, like, masterfully wrote them into the story so it wasn't like, it's like, oh, and here's Lenny. Like, you know, like people, <laughs> people, people showed up and, uh, you know, and, and everyone got their, uh, got their business in. And we were all different the next day. Like, it's not just, I, I can't, and I, I can't speak for Stu, but I, I think I can speak for everybody. It was just a different vibe the next day. Like, you know, we had, we had done something. It's not like a normal bachelor party where, you know, you get hammered on a bunch of beers, eat a bunch of sandwiches and like, you know, someone sleeps outside and gets mosquito bites. Like we, we accomplished something and we mm-hmm. finished something definitively. So it's definitely cool. Funny yeah. story about that bachelor party. I brought my own pillow because I always bring my own pillow when we do an Airbnb thing because pillow, uh, pillows are terrible everywhere else. Except that, terrible. that mm-hmm. one pillow was my best pillow and I somehow forgot to grab it when we left so i lost that pillow this is four years ago now and i've mm-hmm. never had a pillow as good as that pillow <laughs> so i i look at i think about that pillow a lot mm-hmm. and i think about it as like a sacrifice <laughs> to the goodness of that game hey there, there is a cost to magic stew <laughs> yep absolutely loss <laughs> over the years of playing you you share the table with a, a, a lot of people some of them are great awesome people who become your best friends some of them aren't so great. So, both of you, what is your best or worst that guy story? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> well, well, Ryan, are we allowed to, to work blue on this podcast, or is this like a PG podcast? How we... <laughs> you can say whatever you want on this podcast. Okay. Stu, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I got to think. I got I got like a file that I got to go through. <laughs> so... I will first give a best kind of player scenario, and that is the player that genuinely is happy to be at the table and who wants to work on it, who wants to, you know, I I don't necessarily know if you could, like, be good at Dungeons & Dragons, per se. Like, it's not like, oh, if I go to the gym every day and I, like, work on my cardio or I lift a bunch of weights, like, I'll get physically stronger. But I think that there is a certain understanding of gameplay and the mechanics of gameplay and then just being willing to uh, assimilate to the world that you're in and kind of just embrace everything that not a lot of people get. And I think that's kind of the way to get better. So, you know, shout out to all the new players who I've ever had the privilege of playing with because it was awesome for me to, as a seasoned dungeon master, kind of know what's going to happen before it happens and you know, just seeing the reaction in their their faces and like the either the joy or the holy crap, like this is happening thing that happens because you know you you forget when you become like you know a grizzled vet that there is supposed to be that excitement still. Uh, so problem players, I've definitely I've definitely uh, had a prop some problem players uh, recently. I will say, I actually quit a game. I was playing in a game, and the people were just getting too wasted. And literally yelling at each other over me, and it's like, "Mommy and Daddy, stop fighting!" So I, uh, I, I quit. I actually, I've, it's like one of the first groups that I ever like officially, like sat everyone down and was like, "Hey guys, I am actually quitting this group because you all won't stop fighting." Um, I definitely have had situations where, so I have rules uh, as a dungeon master, um, and the rules are: no, I will not have sex with you in game. Uh, if you're going to cheat, do it fast <laughs> and have fun. And, you know, the cheating do it fast thing is because I've definitely played with players who like, you know, while well, you're, you're first level, how are you doing 46 points of damage? Like, 
you know, just you're, you're taking too much time rolling the dice. I, I know that you're full of it. Just just give me a number and I'll, I'll round down. Um, I've, I've experienced people that I've played with who do the thing where it's like, you know, we roll into a tavern and suddenly it's Captain Kirk gets off the shuttlecraft and encounters an alien species for the first time. Penthouse forum kind of experience <laughs> that I, I don't feel comfortable having. And also, I, I don't feel comfortable for other people around the table because, you know, good on anyone who finds a way to get their stuff in and put a little lead in their own pencil and find a way to make their own light shine. But I think there needs to be a certain degree of general consent around the table as to what people are comfortable with. And I've definitely had players roll up to the table being like, so what does the barmaid look like? And you're like, well, whatever, just general description. Really? All right, I'm going to walk over. And I'm like, buddy, this is, remember, at the end of the day, like, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> you know, like I'm running the NPC here. I'm the barmaid in this situation, and you're just not that charming, <laughs> and you're a crappy tipper. So no. So back when uh, when my friend Brian was running uh, a long term first edition campaign, uh, me and a couple friends joined his game. Uh, it was like a once a month dealy. Uh, you know, long involved kind of custom wor- homebrew world. Uh, lots of stuff had gone on, really intricate, really you know deadly kind of game. And uh, I, I was maybe playing it for my second session, and he brought a couple of friends of his from work. And well, it was one friend from work, and then that guy's friend. Both both of them were uh, very stereotypical nerds. Uh, they were they 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 both had like. They just their priorities weren't in line with the game, even though you know, like it wasn't. It was a first edition game, so like, like you know, you go to a dungeon, you go. They and they they were sort of like uh, they just wanted to do everything that that no one else wanted to do at the table. They might have tried to you know flirt with some barmaids, you know, aggressively and stuff like that. Uh, but there were really, and I I don't really remember the 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 their their transgressions too well because this is like you know i was in high school so more than 20 years ago but uh they live on in my memory for two reasons one they both laughed like donkeys like it was just loud (laughs) braying laughter and they would do it at the drop of a hat which was really difficult to kind of deal with and the 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 second thing which would lead to their infamous nickname was that they both smelled like ham <laughs> strongly and awfully like ham so from that after that you know they never played again uh, they were never invited back but we referred to them as the pork brothers for the longest time and i'm glad no that <laughs> yeah not to me uh th- th- that was probably a an all-time low. We've never, I've never sang that quite, quite so low with the, uh, with a bad player as those guys. Yeah, my, my guy was uh, rolling up on a war-forged uh, barmaid in Eberron uh, who was mostly made of wood. Oh my god! And insisted on going a little too far with it. Luckily, the dice did not roll in his favor. You'll get and splinters, dude. dude. He did. Uh, good. It was terrible <laughs> for him. Well, it it's a shame that things didn't work out with uh, the Pork Brothers because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that uh, Hambone and the Pork Brothers 
could have held the never six man tag titles at least once. <laughs> it's it's true, but we would have broken up mid match one point. Like I, I yep. feel like guys like rolling in like that, we would never work out a good strategy. <laughs> like we'd win the tag titles by accident, but I definitely feel like they would hit me in the back with a chair while cutting a promo, and then it would be, I'd be on the chase for a long time, and I don't know if I really want to work like that. They Absolutely. they were big fellas, and you would think that that would be a disadvantage, but they were also kind of greasy. So like I feel like <laughs> like no matter what, you know, the other guys tried to like you know you know they would always slide out of it, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody would really want to touch them because they smelled like pork. And for those listening at home, I do not smell like pork. I may have the nickname Hambone, but I actually wear a very nice. Uh, deodorant i shower daily i smell very nice it was like a it was like you know when you have like a party or something and like you have the cold cut played out and it's Mm -hmm. like the end of the party and the cold cut the the ham's got like that 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 wetness on it and Mm -hmm. it has that smell that's the smell there's no saving that for sandwiches the next day you just have to throw that out i don't like to waste food either but yeah it was summer too Oh, God. Uh, you asked. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've added smell to the podcast experience, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, if it could work for John Waters and Smell-O-Vision, it could work for you too, right? Yep. All right, so in playing RPGs, there's a lot that just kind of comes with the territory as far as playing an RPG. And some of it's good, some of it we come to love over the years, but some of it's just kind of annoying. So Stu and Hambone... What is your least favorite RPG cliche? Oh, oh, that's actually a fantastic question. There's so many. Hmm. So my my least favorite RPG cliche uh, right off the top of my head is certain spells. If you are a spellcaster in any way, shape or form, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, a basic like detect magic spell. Right. Um, It's kind of like when you're a guitar player and you learn an A chord, you never forget how to play an A chord. So, you know, there are certain spells that I think could be a little more utilitarian than they are uh, in D&D and just in RPGs in general. So that's that's one of my pet peeves where, like, I'll I'll house rule certain things in a game because I know it's kind of like, you know, you need those spot those slots for other things. I think that I've gotten really tired of kind of the the chosen one hero's journey sort of trope. Um, And that 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 comes from both ends of like that comes out of published material and that comes with what players bring, you know, the expectations for their characters. And I, I, I just, I, I, I think that characters who are accidentally into it, into the situation or, uh, begrudgingly part of your adventure are much more interesting than, than somebody who has like a destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that might be my, my least favorite. There's a lot though. Yeah. I'm over love stories too. Like, just just in general, I think that there is and when I say love stories, I mean like a forced love story where, you know, the sky is falling. But, you know, we need to find time to fall in love and <laughs> explore our feelings. It's like, no, dog, you need to go out there and like stop whatever's happening. Uh, so, yeah, forced love stories is definitely a cliche I can live without. Mm. So now we come to my favorite question of the whole bunch. And the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. So, Stu and Hambone, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> wow. Stu, do you want to take this one first? You want me to go I, first? I'm a little... St- I've made T-shirts, so like... I'm, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm a little like, oh, anything. I mean, all my T-shirt desires are nothing 
nothing D&D related. <laughs> Doesn't have to be. I've always just wanted to have like like random cuss words on a t-shirt, you know, <laughs> white white letters, big white, you know, block letters and uh you know, black T-shirt. I, I just, it, it's so, you know, more confrontational than I am really in real life. But like, yeah, I, just I, like I like the idea of somebody having like a T-shirt that just says shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For a long time, I, I, I wear a lot of like, uh, you know, the little half inch buttons. Uh, I use them as lapel pins and, you know, I, I, I just wear a lot of them. And uh, I had one that, was, that said, uh, your favorite game sucks. Uh, <laughs> That's which, great. Yeah, and it's again more confrontational than I really am, but I like having mm-hmm. it on there because it makes people like a little, you know, cautious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I guess maybe that's what I would put on my T-shirt. Your favorite game sucks. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great answer. See, I would make T-shirts too, but I, you know, I had friends who had children, and I, I always, you know, I always loved it when my friends would have kids because they suddenly have that moment, just briefly that it's like kind of a blip on the radar where as like new parents, they just start taking everything like way too seriously, more seriously <laughs> than, than they've ever taken things before in the past. And not to say that uh, being a parent isn't incredibly hard work. Being a parent doesn't require a ton of dedication that being a parent is a thankless job. But you know, there's a certain point when you just kind of, you know, your, your kid's butt just exploded everywhere. You got to laugh about it because it's just, this is, this is the day to day. So I'd always just try to take everyone down a peg by like, you know, disarming them with a little laughter. So I'd like make their kids t-shirts that said like, who farted? And like <laughs> the little kid doesn't know because, you know, obviously they can't read yet, but they're just like walking around. They walk into a room and everyone looks and there's this cute little, cute little kid like looking up, making funny noises and just wearing a t-shirt that says who farted on it. I mean, that is, it's, it's an icebreaker for sure. You know? <laughs> and it's definitely a way to get everyone just to chill out a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Stu's, Stu's t-shirt idea rules. Like I've always been looking for, uh, t-shirt designs like that are good D and D t-shirt designs that just aren't so. We're gonna beat you over the head by putting a unattractive D twenty on a shirt. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like I like the classic, uh, you know, wrestling t-shirts. Like you know, any variation of like who broke Wahoo's leg, but with whatever <laughs> slogan that you want on that. I think that's always yeah. a good idea, and that's kind of how I'm envisioning Stu's your favorite game sucks t-shirt. T-shirt going, and we should talk about this offline too because let's start printing money. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at with it. But yeah, shout out to all the parents out there, y'all. I know it's hard work, and you're doing good. Now, Stu, if I may riff on your original idea just a little bit, I think what would be really funny is a T-shirt, black T-shirt, white letters, uh, just have like the seven words you can't say on TV, but in very small text, like postage stamp size. <laughs> Just so if someone really wants to see what's on your shirt, they lean in, they're like, what is that? And they just read the seven words you can't say on TV. <laughs> That's uh, that uh, again, though, that would that would require like people being far too close to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be a very specific type of person to, to wear any of these shirts, really. Mm-hmm. I just I have this thing where I get annoyed where people, like, stop me and try to, like, read what's on my shirt when they can't, when they can't see it. So I like the idea of it being something that, like, <laughs> trolls them, essentially. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's funny. I was actually out the other night. Uh, my friends and I went out to dinner, and they wanted to go check out this uh, brewery. So I, I was I was the DD for the night, and I went up to go buy them a round of drinks and to get myself a bottle of water. And so as I'm being served, the woman next to me looks over and sees my T-shirt, and the T-shirt says Stephen King rules. It's a red T-shirt. It's, it's the Monster Squad T-shirt. And she goes, "Oh my gosh." And she sees me getting the bottle of water. She goes, are you the designated driver tonight? And I was like, yeah, I'll drive my friends around. And she's like, oh, my God, that's so nice of you. Oh, are you a Stephen King fan? <laughs> and then, then she like starts like like pulling my shirt straighter so she could read it. And now like she's like touching my nipples, kind of. And I'm like, whoa, personal space. And then I go to reach out to pay the bartender. And she sees I have tattoos, which, you know, for Ugh. those listening at home, if you are a tattooed person, you know this move far too well and far more than you're comfortable with oh my god that's a beautiful tattoo grabs my arm pulls me over and now we're wrestling like you know if you're gonna touch me like that buy me some dinner first but yeah it's sometimes like the t-shirts and the tattoos draw a little more attention to uh, a person like me that i'm comfortable with you didn't want to turn that into a rainmaker situation i thought about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I I definitely I definitely thought about it, but her her husband was pretty pretty big. <laughs> All right. Well, since we have uh, two of you guys on the podcast, I, I just have to ask: How did you guys meet? <laughs> was it was it St. Mark's? So the first time, yeah, well, the first time we actually met was St. Mark's Place. I knew I've known about you for a while. So Stu and I used to work at a record store called St. Mark's in Kearney. There was a it was originally in Harrison, they moved it over to Kearney. And I live where the record store right around the corner from where it was. Stu still lives generally in the area. And we would meet because his shift would end and my shift would begin or vice versa. We'd always like end up relieving each other. And there was always this like muscle car. Uh it was a Nova. <laughs> And it was it it was a black Nova with like white, you know, racing stripes that you put on a Nova. And it was always parked right by the record store. And and Stu, the way he used to dress, like he used to dress like a dude who would be driving the shit out of that car. So and and he'd always be walking in the direction from the car uh, into the record store. So for the longest time, I thought Stu had this badass muscle car. And like, I'd heard about Stu because we had, we had mutual friends, the same people that we play games with now to this day. But I was like, it took me like months before I was finally like, Hey man, where's your, I actually saw what he was rolling up in and it wasn't a muscle car. It was a Buick. No. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I was on the Buick then. Yeah. That was a terrible car. Yeah. God, yeah. if you could have kept that myth going, though. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a myth that I knew about. I was just like, what? What are you talking about? Well, I was like, what's the Nova in the shop? And you're like, what Nova? <laughs> yeah, similarly, I'm going to digress, but uh, similarly, I worked at the Daily Mail for a spell, and uh, they populated the New York office with uh, young British people from you know England, and uh, they were all sort of overwhelmed with this idea of, of America, but it wasn't like lining up with reality so (laughs) they just they were just so enamored of like they had a dress code they were supposed to wear like a an actual suit and i am walking in as the photo editor i'm wearing like you know a heavy metal t-shirt a flannel jeans and motorcycle boots and they were just like are those motorcycle boots i was like yes it's like do you ride a motorcycle i was like no (laughs) and they were just like why not it's like the wild west out there i was like i'm in new jersey (laughs) like it's not (laughs) 
anyway, yeah. So we, we we worked together at the the record store, which, although it was called St. Mark's, it had no connection to St. Mark's Place in New York. It just sort of traded off the name. And, yeah, because uh, Jersey was far enough away in that point that no one would have known. Yeah, and it was a mess of a store. It was like it was like High Fidelity, except like a a disgusting store full of cigarette butts and and like dust and our 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 dearly departed. We, I miss him dearly. Uh, yeah, boss uh, was uh, always drunk. <laughs> it was just a mess, and it was it was like it was a hoot to work there. Uh, but I I remember one day I was at the counter and Hambo was stocking the punk rock section, and we were talking about going to see the Lord of the Rings movies. And Bob comes out. He called everybody Junior for some reason. Junior he comes, out, he comes out of the back office. Like, Junior, are you talking about that that Hobbit movie? And we're all like, yeah. And he's just like, I didn't know use was nerds. <laughs> yeah. And then he retired to the back to smoke more crack. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was a wild experience, man. Because like you, I would, I would be hanging out. I'd be working my night gig at the bar, like in between tours, and you know, talking to girls. Like, oh, so what do you do? You like, you work here at the bar? I was like, yeah, I also work at a record store. Oh my god, you work at a record store? And their eyes would get all big, <laughs> and their cheeks would get all like flush, and like. I, I just saw Empire Records for the first time. That must be magical, and it's just like, it's really not. <laughs> I would, yeah. We, the, I opened in the morning, and the number of times that Bob was just like passed out on the floor. Jeez, He'd like get back from the bar and to check something or get money from the till or something, and you'd just be like, ah, I'm gonna sleep out the floor. Yeah, Jesus, man. It, it was worse for me because I was the afternoon guy. So, like, if <laughs> Stu had made that first attempt and Bob wasn't there and I'd show up from, like, my midday job, which is, like, delivering food. I was a touring musician, so I had, like, 19 jobs. Um, mm. I would get there and I'd have a sandwich and I would just sit outside the door waiting for Bob <laughs> to show up. And he'd have to call Bob's mom, see if Bob's mom would be like, oh, we could, I could open up the store. I could, like, rouse him, you know. <laughs> uh, they used to call him Dracula Bob because he would do, like, so much cocaine he wouldn't sleep at night. Uh, it was the wild early 2000s late 90s you know stuff yeah happens. he would he would be terribly hungover kind of staggering around the store just like telling himself to feel feel good junior feel good <laughs> yeah feel you know good, junior. all kidding aside though he was uh, a genuine dude he was probably one of the nicest give you the shirt off his back if he could such kind a of people heart. and mm-hmm. also just knew the music business inside and out like he would tell you about bands that were about to break before the bands even knew they were going to break like he pulled me aside one night and he was like junior have you heard of the killers oh the killers he 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 <laughs> marked the killers like from way out he was yeah. just like this band is going to take over the world and he was so right like when they hit they hit so big mm-hmm. it's just like you're psychic yeah. this is way more than you needed to know yeah sorry it's <laughs> all right we, we both right. digress I love music. Uh, gotcha. So, so where did the idea uh, for the for the Instagram page and then and then for the podcast come from? Uh, I mean the the Instagram was just like I kept buying all this stuff, and you know it just seemed like something to do. I, like like I, I it, it's more I was reading it and I was thinking about it, and it just it needed to go somewhere. So it it, it wound up becoming an Instagram feed. I I, I remember I took a poll on on Twitter and everybody was like, no, don't do it on Instagram. I was like, no, I'm going to do it on Instagram. You fools. <laughs> My wife was just like, you can't do long captions on Instagram. That's not what Instagram's for. I was like, well, I don't care. <laughs> it seems to have worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people like history. Yeah. You know, our, we have friends, uh, notorious narratives. They do a, a, a podcast, 
strange stories about extraordinary events, peculiar people throughout history. And they also have an Instagram where every day they do long caption things on history. And people people love reading that stuff. If, if you write good stuff, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And then the, the, the podcast was just sort of a natural extension of that. You know, Hambone was kind of getting into the, 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 the technology. And he was just like, why don't we do a, why don't we do a podcast? I think you strong armed me a little bit more than that, but I did. I actually made a uh, actually made a Google Sheets uh, PowerPoint, and I, I walked through everything. Like I, <laughs> I was like, so here's the plan. This is what we're going to do, and this is why it's going <laughs> to succeed. And uh, I was like, just just trust me. And, and I just and I just have to show up. I don't have to do any other work. And you were like, yeah. And I knew that you were lying. <laughs> it was a small lie. I mean, it was, it was more of a fib. If anything, it was a white lie. Uh, but you know what, man? That's kind of what it was. I started, I was doing the Mai Tai Happy Hour, uh, which I'd been doing for almost two years at that point. And, you know, I really love podcasting. I, I love podcasting because I think that no matter what you're into, no matter, you know, your religious background, sexual orientation, what side of the fence you vote on politically, you know, where you come from, what you do, we all are connected through stories. And I think that storytelling is probably the most important thing that we have as far as art goes in the world because, you know, verbal stories have been passed down from generation to generation. And it's the kind of thing that connects people and kind of gets people to, to laugh a little bit, disarm themselves. So I wanted to be more a part of helping other people to tell their stories. So I started my own podcasting company and I hit up a couple people. Um, you know, I, I reached out to my friend Jess who had recently gotten sober and I pitched her you know, on doing a show about her and like, you know, her dealing with like her sobriety or her dealing with like being like a female tattoo artist. And then she came back to me with the idea to do Seltzer Squad, um, which is her and our friend Kate talking about being young professional females working on their sobriety, living in the city. Uh, so I'm able to to step outside of things that I would normally talk about and help other people tell their stories. So with Vintage RPG, I was like, you know, Stu's having a blast with the Instagram you know, we had done a podcast together a couple of years before that kind of never really went anywhere. And I was like, listen, man, I am about to invest a bunch of money in getting like really good equipment. And I want to make this something real. I want to make this something special. I want to do this with you. Like we can, we can do this together. Like, and I, I did, I was like, all you have to do is just show up and, and just like, you know, just talk and I'll take care of everything else. And you know, it's, it's like 60% true, but <laughs> Uh, but it, it's it's been great and it's it's opened doors for me. You know the the thing the real thing that got me doing it. You know like you know clearly Ryan, you know I like wrestling. So, mm-hmm. um, you know I was listening to uh, Conrad, and I'm like, yeah. man, Conrad's got like 19 podcasts. Conrad's more broker that day. Conrad is doing it all. Like I am a Conrad Thompson guy. And then you know I got really into I went to went to All In. And leading up to All In, the Bucks and Cody were putting out all these videos like, we're betting on ourselves. We're investing in ourselves. Like, you can do this too. Like, believe in yourself. Like, you know, take the chances. Do all this stuff. And I'm like, man, these propaganda videos are really working great because I'm not only going to fly to Chicago to go to this stupid wrestling event, which was awesome. You were such a mark. I am such a mark. (laughs) But, man, like, at least it was a mark. Like, it wasn't like, oh, go do drugs, Johnny. It was like, yo, invest yourself and, like, be a better person. Like, I, I just was like, you know what? I, I can do this. I, I believed in myself enough that I know I can present this to anybody and I could help them tell their story. So then I, I started up the, the podcast company. I got Stu on board, and here we are, Vintage RPG. 
it's funny that you mention all that stuff because right around that same time of the the all in Cody and the Bucks being all, all inspirational and on their their social media and with being the elite not everyone else's podcast right around that same time I was actually trying to become a professional wrestler no kidding yeah and so I I was hearing all of that stuff I lived in Charlotte North Carolina uh, I I had become acquaintances with uh man scout jake manning i don't know if oh he's fantastic i've seen him wrestle so many times i love his gimmick yeah he i was doing stand-up comedy he's also a stand-up comedian that's how i got to know him he told me about the wrestling school that he uh that he teaches at and so i signed up it's him caleb conley and then uh george south is the the owner of the school and it's run through high spots. And so I signed up with them. I'm like, I've got the best trainers. These are the guys who trained Cedric Alexander and Tessa Blanchard. This is going to be great. And it turns out you actually have to be good at wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> I can't comment. I'm way out of my depth here. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm surprised they used Mark right. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've taught you. I've been grooming you to say the right things for like a year. So <laughs> we did it, guys. Well, I mean, Ryan, I, I give you so much credit for going out there and trying, though, man. I mean, like, so much respect to to lace the boots up and give it a go. That's incredible. Yeah, I did it for three months. I uh, could never quite, well, I could get the, the back bump, but just chaining together the shoulder tackle was a challenge for me. And I knew three months in, I'm still struggling with the shoulder tackle. I'm, yeah. I'm never going to make a dime in this business. <laughs> Yeah. At least yeah. you didn't break anything. Mm-hmm. That's true. My my wife was very worried about me. <laughs> and you know what? Good on her for being so supportive. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your wife's name is, but girl, you are awesome. That's great. Absolutely. And this was this was even before we were married. We were still engaged, and when I dropped that bomb on her, she stuck by me. So, <laughs> sign of a good woman. That yep. is. So I have to ask you guys, there have been some really unusual things that have kind of uh, shown up on the, the Vintage RPG page and, and in the podcast. What has been, for your money, the strangest thing you've ever discussed, either on Instagram or on the podcast? Hmm. Dallas. I, yeah, I, I feel like the it has to be Dallas. Dallas is such a strange thing. The Dallas role-playing game. <laughs> like... You know, they you, you, at this point in 2019, you're like, well, you could really make like an RPG out of anything, right? Mm-hmm. But in the 80s, in the heyday of, you know, who shot JR, like to have a Dallas based on the television series RPG, you know, that's ambitious. Yeah, and- like the thing about it is it, like when I when I found Dallas I kind of fell down a hole of other really strange licensed games. And there's, I think, weirder games, but they all sort of seem like they don't seem as much of a reach. Like there's a ghost dog game. There's, there's, you know, the lawnmower man game. And, but like, they all seem somewhat more conceivable than Dallas, Mm. Dallas. Well, those early science fiction, or at least like, you know, uh, urban samurai fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 idea of Dallas and and the the history of it's so strange too because it basically killed the company. Like they invested mm. so much money in that, they made they printed something like twenty thousand copies of it and they didn't move. You could I the one that I got was still in the shrink wrap. Almost everyone that I've ever seen is still in the shrink wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, 
when I had Larry Elmore on the show, that was something that he kind of alluded to right around the time that he he left TSR. There was a whole lot of what he called business people not really understanding the product that they were selling. And, and at that point, that's when you get Dallas the role-playing game. Yeah, I mean, they, they were... They they were going about it. The thing that they were thinking isn't too much different than what we're thinking about now. Is that that role playing games are for everyone, right? And that mm-hmm. you know, there's all sorts of different types of games that we could all be playing. But like, it was just such a the market was not ready for that yet. Like, yes, those things are true. But like, like those things at that point in time were true for like Western games or science fiction games. Like, it was like we weren't ready. <laughs> we weren't ready for TV. I mean, now there's wrestling games, you know, and like, mm-hmm. like, like that makes sense to us. But you know, the couple wrestling games that date from back then are really strange and 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 didn't do very well because the people just weren't ready for it because they still wanted to have swords and stuff and they didn't want to be like the this the thing about Dallas that's super strange is that it was you weren't supposed to make your own characters you were supposed to play the characters on the show <laughs> so like like that's asking an awful lot of people yeah that's a big ask cuz you know everyone wants to be Patrick Duffy like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so weird it's like monopoly the rpg but yeah. Dallas and 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 but he, somebody was mentioning in the in the vintage RPG Slack that it would be amazing if uh, what's his the uh, JR was still alive so that we could like sit down with him and play because <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> oh no, that was me. I, I was the one. That, that was said you. That. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, you know what, man? I bet, I bet, like we could make that happen. We could probably get Larry Hagman to Larry do Hagman, this. But but he's been dead for like years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely I, Dallas. I yeah. will say though you you mentioned the the wrestling RPGs from that time period. Uh, there was a WWF licensed game from late '80s, early '90s that is well for one thing one of the crunchiest games I've ever read, but for another thing, just extremely lovingly crafted and put together. Oh really? Really? Yeah, it's it is one of the. It, it basically perfectly encapsulates what wrestling was at the time and and RPGs at the time, and it really is a great system if that's what you're looking for. I'll have to track that down. That sounds really fun. Yeah, and I, I think it's just I think it's just called WWF the role playing game. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm putting it in the Google machine right now. Nice. Because they did one in uh, 2002, 2003 called WWF Know Your Role, uh, but it's garbage. <laughs> that's a shame because I feel like the you know the the synthesis between you know the rock and that the role playing like like that that really does work as like a title i really want that to be yeah. good oh yeah but it, well uh, well Stu, I, also... I can tell you that you know if we wanted to get the world world wrestling federation basic adventure game our friends over at noble knight have it for <laughs> 150 bucks in near mint condition holy crap <laughs> yeah oh uh, my god there's plenty of copies of Know Your Role out there, though, uh, mm-hmm. Ryan. I just checked. The the mm. prices on some stuff is just astonishing. I I I want so desperately. I want the He Man role playing game box set, and like you can't find it for less than three hundred bucks. And I, it's like, if it w- if I had any inkling that it was going to be a good game, like okay, sure. But like it, everything indicates that it's going to be a terrible piece of trash that just has awesome He Man art. You know, like ah, yeah. why is it so much money? Yeah, the the RPG secondhand market is is a really interesting thing. I've for a while now wanted the uh, DC Adventures 
role-playing game, the ones that use the Mutants and Masterminds uh, third edition rules. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. But those games are so unbelievably goddamn expensive. It's like three or four books, and all of them are like two hundred dollars now that's insane and 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 yeah. also not true like like they are not two hundred dollars everywhere it's just it like people just amp that up on the internet it's ridiculous right. like yeah. I, I i i just posted again about the hellboy GURPS system and uh somebody was just like i can't believe i missed this and i was just like i have an extra copy uh like i'll sell it to you uh, and then he, we DM about it. and He's just like, I looked it up on eBay, man. It's going for a hundred bucks. I was like, I don't care. It's like I got it for like thirty. You can have mm-hmm. it for thirty-five. That'll cover the shipping. Like, I was like, eBay's a lie. Like, it's not worth a hundred bucks. Like, right. uh, there's hundreds of these out there. You know, it, it's ju- it's just crazy. And it's only going to get worse as D and D gets bigger and bigger, and people kind of come in and like speculate. Why are they speculating about? D&D yeah, any time that people start speculating, it's usually an unfortunate sign that it's the beginning of the end uh, once the speculation boom happened. I mean, it happened in the 90s with comic books. Did we learn uh, nothing from uh, the 90s we, comic we book class? clearly learned Apparently nothing. And, and I mean, and it's an unfortunate thing because it, it does drive up the market. I, I think that there is something really special about having your own collection. I mean, you know, life is not defined by things and that said owning certain things and having them like it it gives you a a certain sense of comfort and home when you walk in you're like oh my god there's my boxes oh there's my there's my D &D books oh here's my special dice like you know you you know you've 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 made some place that is yours and i think that you know depriving the people the ability to afford to be able to complete their collections is kind of crappy when it comes down to this isn't exactly what something's actually worth. It's just something that I think might be worth something. So I'm going to drive the price up because now it's mine. You know, it's kind of mm. kind of jerky. Yeah. So yeah. often it's just people just guessing. Yeah, and or or uh, last year when people were really hyped on the the forthcoming cyberpunk game, uh, I saw copies of night the Night City uh, source book for Cyberpunk 2020. Uh, which I don't know is t- fifteen years old and not recent. You know, there's there's a lot of them, but they were going for like a thousand bucks on eBay. And once one person puts it up for a thousand bucks on eBay, everybody's putting it up for a thousand bucks on eBay. And it's just like it's there's no way, no way. It's a fantastic source book. That's an actual good source book. It's one of the best city source books ever written, I think. But it's still not worth a thousand dollars. Is it one that you can get print on demand from Drive Through RPG? No, I don't think that any of the cyberpunk stuff is on print-on-demand, print although that's always fun. I saw uh, the uh, Great Pendragon campaign, which was published by White Wolf a couple years ago. I saw it uh, on eBay for like 300 bucks, and then I looked on drive-thru, and you could get a print-on-demand. I'm pretty sure that that guy was selling a print-on-demand <laughs> version for 300 bucks mm-hmm. and just not telling anybody. I, I sent him actually a pretty rude comment. It was being like, you shouldn't charge that much. He's just like, screw you, man. Now... You mentioned White Wolf, and uh, I I just recently watched the the World of Darkness documentary that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, but you guys also recently posted about the uh, the Mummy RPG <laughs> that they made. Yes, and I, I just I just want to talk about that for a little bit because you you think about that that World of Darkness that they made and all the all the monsters and you know kind of bringing them into that that world that they made. But then you think about mummies. <laughs> 
it's ridiculous, right? But also, right. like, but you look back at it, like, it makes sense with the the whole, you know, parallels to the Universal monsters. And but even then, it's sort of like, oh, mummies, huh? Yeah, like uh, that didn't really make sense back then. And the I, the thing that I think that is fascinating is that that's the third installment of a mummy game for World of Darkness, uh, Mummy: The Resurrection. There were two mm-hmm. other. Uh, they were built into the vampire system, but they exist. They're completely dis- distinct rule sets for World of Darkness that involve mummies. It's like they kept trying. And, you know, kudos to them, man, for giving every monster their due. Although I don't know that they ever made one for the creature from the Black Lagoon. Somebody was mentioning something that, that correlates that, like, that there are... It, it, within the World of Darkness, there is a corollary to the creature of the Black Lagoon, but they never got their... Uh, their rule book, Creature of the Black Lagoon, the the Lagooning. Yeah, I, I don't even know what it would be. You know, <laughs> yeah. like like uh, the Palm Springs thing. I don't know. Like I, you know, kudos to them because I, I did watch uh, Ryan. I did watch the documentary as well on Amazon. I think it's a really fantastic thing to see the larger community of people who were into Vampire the Masquerade. Like you know how it, how it gave them like a sense of belonging because when it happened around here in New Jersey, in our neck of the woods, it was kids who bought the books and were like, yeah, we're not actually going to play these rules. We're just going to go. LARP it at the local hourly hotel and say that we're playing the game, but really we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna do some business. I Sex actually, business. Yeah. I actually have gotten into several conversations with people on my feed being like, wait a minute, you're in North Jersey? Yeah. yeah. You, wait a minute, you were at, uh, you know, hotel LARPs for Vampire of the Masquerade in the 90s? I was like, yeah, I, I, I was embarrassed to be at one or two of those. <laughs> And uh, and and I have like this weird nexus of people who actually know people that I know that I don't know them directly, but like that were there. We were probably all there, like judging each other all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there were there were kids I knew who were, would go to the cemetery to do bodily mutilation, but it just never really worked the way. Like it doesn't really work like the sexy way that you think it's gonna work. Like you know, <laughs> like I, I they they like you gotta come, you have to see us. I'm like, all right. So I, I went down one night, and the one kid pulls out like a cheese grater. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I've terrible. seen ECW. I know how this ends. <laughs> yep. Goodbye, guys. But yeah, You're I mean, not gonna mass transit me. <laughs> no cheese and crackers. I mean, here's the thing though, man. I, one of the things it's it's kind of an early experience I had with RPG with quickly dipping my toe in and pulling my toe out of the water with the cheese grater incident at least mm-hmm. everyone found a place to belong which is something right. that I, I feel very strongly about with with role-playing games that everyone fi- kind of finds that like that that little box that they feel like they fit in with other people who want to hang out in that box and play with them as well so it was i think a fantastic idea but a very poor execution because it it didn't really catch on around here outside of that one summer where people were were vampires mm-hmm. for for one one crazy summer. Mummy yeah, certainly absolutely. never. The mummy the mummy thing never happened here. No, no. that's that's a, <laughs> that's a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always made the joke uh, from from like the Twilight time on. Because I'm, I mean, I'm in my early twenties, so Twilight was that that vampire craze when I was a teenager you know from then on and then it became zombies people were always like okay what's the next horror monster gonna be that's gonna be in the zeitgeist and i've always been like mummies <laughs> we're gonna have sexy mummy movies and then tom cruise fucked it all up for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
He did. The movie's so bad that oh. we are going to build this entire franchise, the Dark Universe, and it's going to be great. We're going to bring back all the classic monsters. You know, forget about that Dracula movie that we made before. That one doesn't count. It starts now with Tom Cruise. This movie's really fucking bad. And then <laughs> and it, he, he literally killed like so, someone who years mm-hmm. ago in Hollywood could do no wrong, literally killed an entire like universe. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Galactus. Yep. But much shorter. (laughs) Well, guys, we're kind of running up against our time here. uh, So I'm just going to turn over the remainder of our time to you guys to promote anything that you have coming up. uh, Talk about anything you want to talk about while you're on the show. And uh, yeah, the the floor is yours. When is this going to run? This will come out this coming Saturday. Hambone, do you want to tell the secret? (sighs) Is it time? I think it's time. All right, so funny story. Uh, Stu and I were talking, and we've been doing Vintage RPG now for uh, a little over a year, and we've been having a blast with it. However, we noticed that we were kind of limited in the stories that we could tell and the things that we could cover by doing it bi-weekly. So we are going to be going weekly very shortly. Awesome. Yeah, hooray! We. I don't want to say exactly when because it might change, but it, it's definitely in the works. Yeah, it's 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 definitely definitely coming sooner than later. We've got a a few really cool things coming out uh, as far as the next few episodes go, uh, and then you know we'll we'll see what happens. We will formally announce a date uh, on Vintage RPG's uh, Instagram, and there's going to be an episode detailing what's going to be to come uh, coming soon. But yeah, I mean. I love doing the Vintage RPG podcast. I love games. I love role-playing games. I love talking about them. I love talking to new people. I love that uh, you were so kind, Ryan, to have Stu and I to talk about our show tonight on your show. So thank you so much for that. So, yeah, man, we are going to be going weekly soon. Huzzah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You know, you can follow the feed at uh, Vintage RPG on Instagram. Uh, You can follow Unwinnable uh, on unwinnable.com and at unwinnable on twitter uh we cover all sorts of pop culture and criticize it and love it and stuff i'm really bad at promos i should definitely not go to wrestling school <laughs> this is too. uh you can you can follow our patreon as well we have a patreon uh patreon.com slash rpg where we do release the episodes early we do uh, if I get a new game, I do an unboxing video that I release to everyone. Higher tiers include unboxing videos of classic games uh, and classic RPGs. Stu puts out amazing essays on there as well. Yeah, we have a lot of fun with it, man. I mean, we are we're, we're in it. We're fully in this. Uh, See, so definitely... Hambone should go to wrestling school if not for the bad back. Yeah, oh, my back is my back is is held together by like Jello. But you, yes, you can cut a promo though. But I can cut a promo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you yep. get like the the Bobby Heenan sort of gig. Uh, he still had to take bumps. Um, no one yeah. is safe. No one is safe. Yeah. I- I'm, sa- I'm safe in the stands where I like to watch. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, thanks for bringing us so much so much joy and fun tonight. Uh, guys, next week we've got a big one. This one is actually going to release instead of on our typical Saturday. It's going to release on Halloween Ooh. because Ooh. we are talking – to none other than Andrew Gaska, who works for 20th Century Fox as kind of a uh, a lore master for uh, Planet of the Apes 
and Alien. Ooh. And we are going to be talking about the Alien RPG that he's been working on. Nice. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love Alien. I'm so excited to do this. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But until then, best of luck in your campaigns, Dungeon Masters. I hope all of you players out there have a good time. And I'll see you next time.